Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi there, and welcome to Stock Club, the podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I'm James, and joining me in today's episode are Rory and Mike from the My Wall Street Analyst team. Today, we're talking about the recent crypto crash and how it might affect the stock market, some good earnings news for a change from companies like Duolingo and C-Limited, and we ask if Disney is a good investment now that it's back at its 2015 price levels. Mike, Rory, welcome to this week's Stock Club podcast. Look at this, it's all the lads together again. It's good to uh, loggers. <laughs> uh, well, before we start this off, I'm going to hit you with the same spiel as I always do. Don't forget that there's an uh, extended version of the Stock Club podcast exclusively in the My Wall Street app. I'm going to change it up today, guys. You're going to pitch me as usual, your elevator pitch at the end. But can you give me a, a brief teaser of what companies you're going to pitch me today, Rory? It's a business that is eco-friendly. Okay. Eco-friendly business. Mike, what's your elevator pitch going to be? Mine may be a multi-level marketing scheme. <laughs> <laughs> Genuine. <laughs> well, if you're dying to... That's a good to... segue into crypto. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're dying to hear these two companies' elevator pitches and an extended pitch of my favorite one of these, make sure to jump on over to my Wall Street app now and listen to that full version for free. All you need to do is create an account. We're going to get onto crypto, as Rory mentioned there. But before we get to crypto, look, I'm sorry, but we have to mention Elon Musk again. Do Um, we really? We've skipped (laughs) it. Well, last week was the Beth Kindig interview. The week before, we avoided him as much as possible. But again, last Friday, more news came out. He's not buying Twitter or apparently maybe not buying Twitter now, unless the company can show that less than 5% of the accounts on the platform are are not spam. Sorry. Look, let's not get into this too much, but the question that I have and that I really want you guys to know is were you expecting this and do you think this is just a way of Elon getting out of the deal maybe completely or maybe getting out of the deal and coming back in at a much lower price Mike I know you've you've a few thoughts on this what was the famous Emmett quote about wrestling a pig <laughs> um, it's something like you're 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 both covered in in mud and I don't think he said mud but uh, he enjoyed it yeah, that was it. The problem with wrestling with pig is that you both end up covered in mud and you find out you enjoy it. And I think like <laughs> Twitter right now are wrestling with the pig and they deserve what they get. I, I like it it feels it always seemed like he was bluffing and everyone kept calling his bluffs and he was like, All right, well I'll I re-raise again. And and here we are. Like some very basic due diligence that would have been done before any sort of transaction that he decides to bring up now. Like, isn't, I think everyone in this situation deserves what they get. And maybe he uncovers that like Twitter was a complete sham and half of all accounts are fake. And then like, what, you know, that's a huge fraud case too. So I don't know. Everyone deserves what they get. Leave them off. Are you a cynical Rory? I mean, I like. I don't believe. I don't buy this account testing nonsense for a second. Like that is just something you would 
you would try and figure out before you put like 44 billion dollars on the table <laughs> just he's obviously trying to wriggle out with it i'm sure the um the market implications on tesla shares have made this a lot more difficult for him a lot more expensive for him there could be some scenario where he's kind of trying to figure out a new way to fund this venture but i think mm. he'll well, well it's 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 not going to go ahead i don't yeah. think at this stage i think that's the i read i read that he was trying to pull out of the margin loan on tesla shares and provide some alternative financing because i think he'd be paying crazy interest on his personal loan every year then to yeah. get the own, and maybe like instead pass that like dead on to twitter instead of on elon musk so yeah i don't know but- well, all I know is we need to get Emmett on next week's podcast to clarify his statement about pigs and wrestling in mud. Uh, let's move on then. And of course, it's been a very rough couple of weeks for the stock market, but it has been just as bad for the cryptocurrency markets. Last week, of course, we saw the highly publicized implosion of the stablecoin Terra and its sister coin Luna, which virtually lost all of its value, some $400 billion in just a couple of days, virtually wiping out many, many investors. Other major cryptos have been having a bad time of it too. Bitcoin's been cut in half from its November highs. And the you know even companies that are adjacent to cryptocurrencies like Coinbase are getting pummeled. Coinbase is down close to 80% since November. Guys, we've often joked about cryptos on this podcast, but recent surveys show that some 16% of Americans now own some form of cryptocurrency, which is up from 1% in 2015. Not really surprising when we kind of see the cultural acceptance of cryptos. We've got prominent tech leaders like Elon Musk, of course, and Jack Dorsey, um, who are big bulls on crypto. We've seen numerous celebrities like Paris Hilton, Kim Kardashian, Jimmy Fallon, all hawking cryptocurrencies and NFTs as well. But I'm curious to hear what both of you guys think of them now as an investment opportunity. Interestingly, we bet Kindig on the podcast last week, and she's a big uh, crypto bull and a big Bitcoin bull. But I'm curious to hear what what is, is your thinking on the whole crypto landscape at the moment, especially considering what's happened recently. Rory, I might come over to you first on this. It's it's a hard question to answer because I think, you know, a few years back, we were really kind of talking about kind of three main cryptocurrencies. There was Bitcoin, Ethereum and Litecoin. And I was kind of reading a lot about them back then because I thought they were quite interesting. There's a couple of very good white papers that I found that I thought gave a kind of very reasonable bull and bear argument. And, you know, didn't I didn't particularly understand the technical aspects of it, let's be honest, but like the, the whole kind of concept of, of blockchain and how you created like a decentralized ledger, I thought was very, very smart. And basically back then I decided that, you know what, I don't really know enough about this stuff to dedicate significant money to it, but I did buy a little bit as a kind of dip the toe investment. Um, and that's kind of what I told other people to do. Like if, you know, if, if you don't understand something, you still want to kind of be part of it, you know, buy a small amount, don't worry about it too much. Fast forward to today and you just look at what's happening in the world of crypto, just like the sheer amount of charlatans and fraudsters it's managed to attract is really genuinely worrying. Just, I mean, even like, you know, when we say crypto, we kind of mean all of it, don't we now? Yeah. It's, it's, it's you know, we look at things like, the NFT market, right, and the amount of snake sale oil selling that goes on in there. Like American audience may not know this, but there's a professional English footballer called John Terry, who used to be the captain of England. He launched an NFT collection of like cartoons of baby monkeys wearing football jerseys um, <laughs> and like very openly marketed these towards children, his like child fan base. You know, a month later, they've lost 90% of their value and he's gone and deleted all the tweets he ever posted about where he was promoting them. Another former English footballer, Michael Owen, is now launching his own NFT collection, which, and I quote, he says, 
will be the first ever that can't lose their initial value. Now, wow. <laughs> I'm not sure how Michael has managed to circumnavigate one of the basic principles of market economics, but in trying to find out, I discovered that they've come up with these NFTs that essentially you can't sell them for less than you bought them for. So if you buy, let's say, one of these things for like 100 quid and, you know, the demand completely collapses and let's say there's someone offering you 50 quid for them, you actually can't sell it for that 50 quid. So... What, what, so you're when Michael says it doesn't lose value, what he means is it doesn't lose nominal value, but that it actually loses all value and the fact that you can't actually sell it for anything. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I, I kind of like that idea. I don't know. <laughs> it sounds like he's talking sense. <laughs> And like, and you, like, I see, like, even today, I was in a coffee shop, and I was, I overheard these three kids who must have been like 15, 16, and they they were just talking about buying Shibu Inus and Dojis and and things like that, and like, you know, this this stuff is going to turn kids into just degenerate gamblers. Like, they 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 clearly, I mean, they probably know a lot more than me, but they obviously are like, when you see what's <laughs> happened with, what was that stablecoin Terra? Terra Luna? Yeah. Like, I went onto the subreddit of that a few days ago, and it was really dark. Like, there was people who'd lost everything yeah. on that. Basically, on this, like, Michael Owen thing, it can't lose its value. Yes, it can. Of course it can. Everything can. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm still kind of like, you know, I'm still curious about the kind of fundamentals of it, the Bitcoins, the Ethereums of the world. But it has gone really dark and dodgy, like, since think- we first started kind of looking at it. I think you've highlighted there how far away it's come from its kind of its origin and it's like original intention, do you know, like is in the the main purpose, I think for a lot of people and say a lot of crypto idealists would see this as well is that it's moving away from a kind of overarching system. So like if you need to, if you're in a country with an unsturdy financial system or a currency that is like at high risk of losing a lot of value or if there's a run on the banks or anything then you can put your money into crypto and it's a relatively safe hedge to that it's not a it's not a hedge for stocks going down it's not a hedge for i don't know the dollar or anything it's like a kind of almost utilitarian not utilitarian what is it a a, a kind of like a a safety thing for these people and like that's the real application for it what this is, is just nonsense. Like, Rory, what you said there is all absolute nonsense. Like Michael Owen selling you something that sounds completely illegal. John Terry selling financial products to kids. Like, is in just take those two statements out of context. And you're like, how is anyone allowed to get away with this? Yeah, well, you made a good point there, Mike. And, and it's a, a, an argument I've often heard from people who are bullish on, on crypto and Bitcoin is that it is a hedge against things like great currency and equities like stocks. But considering that, you know, cryptocurrencies have fallen in value almost completely in tandem with the stock market over the last few months surely that destroys the argument that it, that it is a hedge well you could I mean like in theory you could say it would be because like limited supply equals hedge against inflation right but yeah. like in th- in practice that just doesn't work out because it's it's so much more volatile to other factors like the the concentration of bitcoin around the world is like incredible incredibly high in like a couple of hundred accounts so that can move it very quickly doesn't you know yeah. the the supply factor doesn't come in it's also the fact that like people aren't using it for its purpose its purpose was as a, as a form of 
of exchange, but it's not being used like that. It's being used as an investment. So people are, are buying into it, thinking it's going to go up 200% every year. And as soon and then you get into like the greater fool theory, which is the only reason you're buying something is because you think someone else would buy it for you at a higher price. Eventually, you're going to be the last person on that on that pyramid and it's all going to come collapsing down. Well, well, you, of course, you're going to expect somebody to buy it at you for a higher price if you can't sell it for a lower price. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, hey, the more economics. we talk about this, the more I think Michael's on something. <laughs> yeah. Well, James, you said it there as well. You said 16% of Americans now own some form of crypto. So yeah. that means, and it's not a big jump there to say that these would also be stock investors and these would also be technology forward thinking people. So seeing them kind of intrinsically linked to stocks, especially like kind of tech stocks and growth stocks, isn't informed, it isn't because like the asset classes are close together, but because the same investors own both. So if your cryptos or you're lending against your cryptocurrency or your cryptos falling significantly, you might have to sell other stocks in tandem with them. So that's why they can kind of be linked. Yeah. And the other the other factor is that so many more public companies are now based around crypto. You mentioned Coinbase is kind of the the main like title up there, but there's hundreds of companies now that are on the public markets that are in some way very attached to the crypto markets. And so they're going to be bringing stocks down as well and bringing indexes down too. So there are two ways that kind of, I suppose they're linked, not traditionally, yeah. but kind of linked in the same investors that, that you can see them kind of moving together. Yeah, Rory, that reminds me of a piece you mentioned that Matt Levine wrote recently, which kind of explains and it draws comparisons, quite worrying comparisons, really, to the financial crisis of 2008, 2009, where, you know, the, the in, in that case, it was the, the CDCs built on some subprime mortgages. In this case, it's these monkey pictures that are... <laughs> dragging that are that are collapsing themselves but then as an effect dragging down things like the stock market like we've seen recently how big of a risk do you think that is for us as you know ordinary boring retail investors <laughs> i will like I, that matt levine article by the way is excellent if you if you haven't used your one free bloomberg article this month definitely check it out it's you know how much of a risk is it is undefinable because it's, it's we just don't know it's so new it's so you know it's so unprecedented that yeah we just don't really know what the impacts are going to be particularly like i mean the short-term implications i think we can see it at times but longer term we've no idea what linking linking all all this stuff together is going to end up doing um yeah i'm sorry i can't give you more than that i'm just waiting i try not to let it keep me up at night (laughs) i'm just waiting for uh, rory's piece where he blames peloton's performance recently on uh, crypto investors (laughs) they're they're pretty good scapegoats yeah well look let's move on from the crypto conversation before we really unveil our ignorance here uh, and move on to earnings Um, so earnings recently haven't been great both inside and outside of the wall street app all we've been talking about are earnings and how companies are crashing because of their earnings reports however it is important to not always focus on the bad news though and there are actually some companies that have reported earnings recently and have actually done pretty well, even raising their, their forecasts. So we're going to touch on two here today. And the first company I want to focus on is personal favorite of mine, Duolingo. They managed to beat expectations recently and even managed to improve their outlook for the coming year, which is an absolute rarity at the moment. Mike, you were looking at Duolingo recently. So how has Duolingo managed to do so well when so many other tech stocks are absolutely falling? Yeah, I had a great time looking at Duolingo today. It's just it's just nice, you know? It's yeah, a nice it's company. Real... <laughs> it's investor relation page and shareholder whatever. It's all bright and colorful and there's little cartoon owls everywhere. 
It's just all very nice. Um, I think that, it would that look, owl's not always nice, yeah, man. Yeah. That owl is evil, man. <laughs> I think it would look maybe a bit more silly if the numbers were horrible and you're kind of like looking at a company that's losing a lot of money. But right now it was all just very nice. Um, so yeah, I guess I, I guess it's the context as well when you see everything falling horribly for the last month to see a thirty four percent pop in a company a lot of people own is also nice um <laughs> but yeah it's very significant beat on the top and bottom lines raise its guidance which is always going to be a huge one and everyone knows the kind of the drop in guidance is the the harbinger of the huge dips uh so a raising guidance is always what investors are looking for users are going nicely too and this is compared to q1 of 2021 which is definitely affected by covid for many so that's especially nice to see against tough comps. Um, there was one particular statistic I really liked. Uh, it was its a subscriber rate as a percentage of MAUs. So I kind of took this as essentially a take rate. Okay. So how many users kind of fully monetize? So since Q1 of 2020, this figure has almost doubled from 3.6% to 6.8%. So I think one of the kind of question marks around this business for a long time was all right, you got a lot of users, but how do you monetize them? Are you converting yeah. them to paying subscribers? And like this figure up and to the right is a perfect chart for that. So, uh, and even just below 7%, there's plenty of room to grow this as well. Other things to come from the report, this was a really nice thing as well. Um, there was a 500... <laughs> this, is, this is lovely. This is just like a nice warm bowl of soup. <laughs> oh, like, absolutely. Yeah, I should have put the kettle on and made a cup of tea for this. But listen to this for heartwarming stuff. So there was a 513% spike in people learning Ukrainian, either as a symbol of support or even to welcome refugees into their homes and communities. And Duolingo are donating the ad revenue from this to Ukrainian relief efforts. And it's also waiving fees for all English tests for Ukrainian citizens. Wow. How nice is that? Yeah, that's really, that's actually lovely. <laughs> it's it actually is. genuinely good ESG. It's not, yeah. just P, it's not just ESG PR. Yeah. yeah. It's just, this is just a nice company. My dad uses it every day. It's a beautiful place to visit if you go on the website. Highly recommend. What, what language is your dad learning? Spanish. What were you going to say, Rory? I was, I was going to say, I wonder how have they, that's an incredible jump in their um, conversion rates. And it's been an, a long time since, I, so like I used it for free for about a week before I decided, no, I'm, 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 I'm going to pay for this. Have they just made it like incredibly annoying to use it as a free product or have people, I suppose, realized that it's worth paying for? Because I've always thought it was worth paying for. I think it's a mixture of both. I think they've kind of made the free one annoying and then also they've this is another thing as well they're moving duolingo plus to super duolingo i don't think there's anything else to it except that it's super now instead of plus so <laughs> that could add to conversion rates as well but um yeah no and, and then there is that really interesting aspect of the business too which is the duolingo english test i think both of you know all about this but yeah. essentially it's kind of an internationally recognized uh, English test for higher education programs. That's growing revenue by 60% as well. Yeah, it's really, really contributing to that kind of yeah decentralization of, of education and obviously helping people move across the world. That was lovely, Mike. Thank you very much. I feel better after hearing <laughs> that. Let's move on to another company and Sea Limit. This is a company that we haven't had much good news about recently, but they reported earlier this week, Rory, and its stock jumped close to 20% off the back of the results. They've been completely hammered since uh, November. So, you know, even with this jump, they are still 
quite significantly down. But where did this good news come from? How have Sea Limited managed to book the trend recently? Well, I suppose there's always there's always a, t- a tension when an individual stock goes from being a growth story into a kind of profitability story, and you know, in recent months that tension has kind of expanded to not just individual <laughs> stocks, but basically to the entire market. And Sea Limited was certainly a company that was going to be hammered when that kind of switch happened, basically just because of the the nature of their business. Just on this earnings, for example, so on this earnings, it was very positive. Revenue was $2.9 billion. That was up 64%. Their gap EPS loss was only $1.04, which is much lower than the $1.40 expected. Importantly, they gave quite strong guidance for the current quarter and remain pretty optimistic about previous guidance that would make Shopee, which is their e-commerce segment, profitable on a adjusted EBITDA basis in their key markets by the end of this year. Now, look, there's there's still so much uncertainty surrounding that. Um, yeah. Obviously, there is inflation, uh, there's supply chain issues, there's energy pricing issues, there's increased competition in, in a lot of their markets. But I think one of the kind of the big issues with the business at the moment really stems from their gaming segment, um, Garena, which had been seeing slowing growth for a number of reasons. I mean, the, there was a couple of kind of, you know, individual business hiccups where they were banned from India because they had you know tenuous links to Tencent. But I mean, the real issue essentially was like people were stopped, weren't gaming as much uh, yeah. as the economies opened up. So that that was kind of an, a, a main issue. And even that management gave kind of some suggestions that they were starting to see those user numbers stabilizing at the end of last quarter. But we still don't really know what kind of the long term looks like for that segment of the business and whether they're going to be able to do something or like to get those gross booking figures back on track because they've kind of fallen into negative territory now. And the reason that's so important and particularly for C Limited is that Garena is essentially kind of the cash cow of this entire business. Um, yeah. It's kind of the only one that's like properly profitable. Uh, it essentially kind of funds what is a very kind of highly aggressive expansion of their of their e-commerce wing. You've got to keep in mind that Shopee is, is at the moment kind of the largest e-commerce marketplace in most of the markets that it operates throughout kind of Southeast Asia. But it's gone there largely by kind of, you know, very aggressive kind of subsidizing consumers in order to kind of change them over to their platform and kind of drive that gross merchandise volume. On top of that, they've kind of aggressively kind of tested out new markets as well, jumping into place in Latin America to see if it's going to work there. And that's all fine if you've got kind of money flowing in from your, you know, wildly, wildly popular um, online game. But the problem is kind of with e-commerce is kind of very low switching costs. So the challenge now is kind of how does Shopee manage to keep its kind of customers that's attracted with these kind of low prices and, and heavy discounting yeah. while reducing all those subsidies and essentially trying to become profitable. Mm-hmm. You know, where they operate, there is huge amounts of competition, some of which like Alibaba, for example, have very big pockets. So, you know, it, it doesn't feel like they're ever going to kind of win this kind of just throwing money at it forever uh, problem. One way I think that they definitely could is to kind of expand their logistics network. That's kind of been a kind of tried and proven method of kind of locking in customers over the long term. We've seen we've seen it with Amazon. We've seen it with um, Mercado Libre. We've seen it with JD in China. So, I mean, we really want to see kind of them start moving on that on that logistics element of their business but you know at the same time you know taking a step back and thinking over the long term southeast asia is huge it's a really <laughs> big place and it's about they reckon somewhere between six and seven percent of commerce there is is currently done 
through e-commerce. You look at like somewhere like China, where it's, I think it's nearly 25%. So there's huge amount of growth opportunity in this section. And there's, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily going to be a winner take all, particularly when it's, it's not like one big region like China. It's kind of separate, separate countries and um, kind of their own competitive environments. So, I mean, it was a, it was a good positive kind of, uh, report in terms of we think things are fine, <laughs> which I suppose in this environment was enough for people even just to hear that things might be okay. Well, I'll definitely take that. <laughs> it makes a nice change. Want to point out as well before we move on that my OG stock Home Depot reported good earnings soon, actually raised their outlook for the rest of the year. So, uh, Props to Home Depot as always. Um, so let's move on then. And don't forget that if you're listening to this podcast in the My Wall Street app, you're going to get a full version of one of our elevator pitches at the end. So if you're not listening, but you want to catch that, make sure to jump on over to the My Wall Street app where you can listen for free. Emmett's not here on today's podcast, obviously, but before we start recording, he sent me over a quick voice message to let Stock Club listeners know about an upcoming promotion for his Horizon service. So we're going to put it in now. So let's give it a listen. As many of our listeners know, in December 2019, I launched Horizon, which is my professional life's most important project, simply because it is my real life retirement plan funded exclusively by my family's savings and our pension. Several months post-launch, we were flying. The Horizon portfolio was up almost 100% versus the S&P 500's 20% gain. However, no sooner than we were out of the traps when we all had to run home and stay there with the net effect of more or less every listed company becoming a casualty or beneficiary of working from home. And this gave rise to a temporary style of investing around the world, which by nature was time limited. For example, Peloton, Nautilus, Zoom, DocuSign, Netflix, and countless others exploded to new highs, while in-person businesses such as Ulta Salon, Chipotle, and all restaurant stocks, gyms like Planet Fitness, aircraft, travel companies, they, they got destroyed. Sure enough, in recent times, we've seen an inversion with stay-at-home stocks being dumped, while out-and-about businesses are relatively back in favour. Altogether, the Horizon portfolio has fallen from its highs and is currently down, but I'm not worried. In fact, I'm convinced that we have a once-in-a-generation buying opportunity in the 12 months ahead, maybe 24 months if you're going to deal with a major downturn, you want it in the springtime of your investing horizon. And these are the earliest days of this portfolio's life. Anyway, in Horizon, I invest in you $4,000 every month. This means that over the next two years, I will deploy almost $100,000 into businesses positioned to dominate a market. And I'm doing so at a time when everyone else is fleeing. So what I'm doing is not for the faint of heart. So because generational opportunities are now staring at us, we decided to open the doors of Horizon with a time-limited discount. I really, really believe that I'm currently making the best investments of my life in Horizon, most particularly the next dozen plus or so. Next Thursday, for example, that's Thursday, May 26th, I plan to pitch one of the most certain potential 
long-term winners I've seen. What I mean by that is I just can't foresee it not making market-beating returns in the next couple of years. It's founder-led, capital-efficient, it has a proven growth strategy, has unreal return on equity, and a giant opportunity, and fragmented competition. Anyway, Horizon is a long-term buy-and-hold portfolio of medium to high risk companies. And I'm just going to describe some of the features of the service. Firstly, uh, members get a monthly video pitch from me with an exec summary of a stock that I'm watching and adding to my watch list. There is a monthly buy alert of every investment I make before I make it, including an occasional wildcard pitch, which is a stock that's just too high on the risk reward scale to merit an official pitch. There's sell alerts when they happen, which is very occasionally. There's access to our members community, a vibrant community of members. I write a weekly email with a deep dive into all my investments called Eyes on Horizon. And then we have a monthly live video conference with members called Spotlight. Also, on occasion during wild market swings such as these, I issue short occasional video updates. And that's about it. But remember, the next Horizon pitch is coming next Thursday. And I really believe that this is going to be a massive winner in our lives. And if a listener has even heard of the company, let alone a customer, I'd be absolutely shocked. Oh, and we're offering it for a time-limited discount. So there'll be more details on this Flash Horizon sale that's coming up next week on our socials and on the podcast as well. So keep an eye out for more information on that if you're interested. Finally, I just want to mention a really cool new feature that's in the My Wall Street app too. It's actually going to make you money if our stock picks <laughs> are disappointing you at the moment. And so if you've been telling people about My Wall Street, we've got some good news. We've got a new referral feature live in My Wall Street app that rewards you $20 for each new subscriber that you refer to our premium My Wall Street service. If that's not enough, your friend or family member will also get $20 off a full year subscription so that'll be $79 instead of $99 so it's a true win-win situation to get your referral code all you need to do is go into the left hand menu in the my wall street app you can get a link there which you can share with your friends and families they can click through subscribe to my wall street get their 20 percent discount and they'll still get their seven day free trial as well so they can unlock the premium stocks and content risk free there's no limit on how many people you can share this referral code with so keep sharing the message and your personal referral code to start getting those rewards okay guys let's move on to the mailbag and digging into the mailbag this week we've got a question from a longtime stock club listener Stephen Lynch. hi Stephen. He wrote into us recently and asked us what we thought about Disney as an investment at the moment, considering that the share price was back at 2015 levels. Mike, you recently updated our investment thesis on Disney in the My Wall Street app, which you can read now if you want. But yeah, look, surely Disney is a much bigger company now than it was seven years ago. What gives? Yeah, um, look, as Stephen pointed out, there's a bit of a disconnect maybe between its recent stock price and what the company has done over the past few years. We're talking about a $70 billion acquisition of 21st Century Fox. It launched Disney Plus that reached 138 million subscribers and it brought out four of the top 10 grossing films of all time. Yeah. Yeah. And the stock has been flat since, uh, which seems like there's something kind of not right there. But it's interesting because I think there were some parallels with what Rory was saying about C Limited, too. I suggest that maybe the kind of perception of Disney has changed, maybe okay. in a lot of investors' minds. So it's kind of evolved from this slow growing, dividend paying blue chip into something else, like not quite a growth stock, yet not quite a blue chip either. It's pumping money back into the business and optimizing like the expansion of Disney Plus and its other direct-to-consumer efforts. 
And instead of paying its dividends or initiating buybacks, which it paused there at the start of the COVID pandemic, it plans to bring back both, except there's been no signs of it happening yet. So I kind of just imagine maybe certain type of investors who would have invested Disney five years ago, Mm. maybe looking at streaming, kind of being a bit of a cash drain. They're not used to kind of the profit machine that Disney was committing to pretty significant medium term losses on this kind of venture. And of course, we see with Netflix, there are question marks around the industry as a whole. Yeah. Saturation in the North American market, which is where the majority of the value of the streaming market is. Subscription fatigue, we have high churn numbers as well. And then there's this new political wrinkle as well that's just emerged. The company yeah. found itself on the wrong side of Florida lawmakers. It kind of it was standing up for companies, the values the company believes in. And I think we would all at my Wall Street would endorse as well. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But it, has also endangered its kind of privileged tax status in the state. Um, like this is kind of, I don't think you want to see a company get caught up in this kind of political arm wrestle, but you would also want a company that you believe in and that stands up for what it believes in. So yeah, there's so, a back like, and forth there too, you know? The kind of sense I'm getting though is that like Disney isn't isn't going gently into its retirement. It's kind of having a an act two where it's it's uh, trying to catch up with maybe some of the young players. Is that kind of correct? And it maybe that's not sitting well with some of what might have been typical Disney investors seven, eight years ago. Yeah, similar to what uh, Rory was saying about seeing it and it kind of going through a transition. Mm. I think Disney is maybe going backwards through a transition. It's like, oh no, we still have a lot of growth left to do. Yeah, and maybe that doesn't sit well with a lot of people. So, yeah. um, I do, I do think that like Disney is uh, Disney. It's been Disney for I don't know almost a hundred years now. It's the king of content, and I don't think it has any equals. Um, you just you just look back and say maybe the last five years how the business has grown. The kind of question marks we're dealing with like now seem smaller and smaller. Yeah. So yeah, I, I I can't see it staying at these levels for too long, but that could be famous last words too. Would you agree, Rory? Sorry, I was on mute there. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would. <laughs> okay, you can go pause, back to mute back now. Pause for effect. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that, Mike and Stephen. I hope that answered your question. Yeah, very very interesting things going on over at Disney. Okay, guys, we're at the end of the show, so of course we're going to finish out today with an elevator pitch. So, Mike. After what you said at the start of the show, I have to go to you first. Pitch me this potential multi-level marketing company that you've found and is on your, well, is it on your watch list? I I, I would be a bit worried if, if it was on your watch list as a potential inclusion to my Wall Street. No, I don't think it's going to be on my watch list anytime soon. Um, so the company is EXP World Holdings. And yeah. Aside from sounding like something out of Step Brothers, it's an online <laughs> real estate platform. Uh, it's just uh, connects home buyers and sellers. It's got thousands of listings you can access, and at last count, it has about eighty thousand real estate agents signed up to the platform. Um, so yeah, it's a simple, simple enough marketplace, and it has a basic fee model you'd expect. Real estate uh, agents sign up; they set up, they have setup fees and a monthly fee to be on the platform, and then there's a commission structure that is capped at twenty percent of the first eighty thousand dollars earned on the platform by an agent. So Agents can actually keep 100% of commissions after that $16,000 mark. Yeah. So it proves a very attractive prospect for big earners. Where the MLM stuff comes in is uh, um, there's basically a revenue sharing program in place for agents who attract other agents to the platform. Ah. 
And there are a lot of question marks around whether the business can make any real money because it's paying agents so much. There is also some question marks. It kind of, while revenue growth has been strong year over year, it's kind of stagnated in the last three quarters. So it's sequentially fallen for the last two quarters as well. So we might have a bit of a shock coming up for the next quarter's earnings as well. So yeah, not really on my list anytime soon, no. Yeah. Yeah, sounds like a <laughs> sounds like a dodgy one, all right. Rory, you said you were going to pitch an eco-friendly company. Company, yeah, kind of in it. I mean, we're in an eco mood at the moment over at my Wall Street. If anyone wants to, if anyone wants to check out the new stock that just went live this week as well, it's an eco-friendly professional Jeez. segue there. there <laughs> Always be closing. Yeah, <laughs> you, don't get, you don't get where I where I've gotten to without knowing how to close a deal. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's a stock that I have previously been pretty negative on. Uh, in fact, I think I, I think for once that one of our um, our like end of year predictions, I actually like my entire prediction was that it was going to be cut in half. It wasn't that year actually. It went, yeah, I think it went up that year, but it has been now cut way more than half. Uh, it's beyond meat. The makers of the the vegetarian burger that looks and tastes just like meat as well as now like a hundred other products that they make from pretty much every animal component you could possibly imagine yeah uh so yeah there there have i been looking at i mean i was i was it was always one of those businesses i was kind of interested in i liked the kind of the mission the vision the values like the founder but it was just kind of a crazy valuation so i've kind of taken another look at it now that it's lost about 90 percent of its value since its all-time highs back in 2019 joined the club there's yeah, some uh some interesting yeah basically joined the club <laughs> um, some like very some kind of interesting things going on with it they just had a terrible terrible quarter but you know i think maybe long term there might be some some meat on the bones well, Mike, I'm sorry to say Rory has been a better salesman there. I'm, I'm definitely dying to hear more about Beyond Meat than EXP World Holdings. So let's have our extended pitch on Beyond Meat. So guys, if you're not listening to this in the My Wall Street app, this is where we're going to leave you today. However, if you want to find out more about Beyond Meat and what we think of it as an investment right now, make sure to jump on over to the My Wall Street app where you can listen into the rest of the conversation on the company, as well as getting some extra info and resources on the recent research that Rory has done into Beyond Meat. It's really, really worth checking out. As always, remember, if you have any questions that you'd like answered on the Stock Club podcast or elevator pitches you'd like us to tackle, make sure to get in touch. You can find us on Twitter, that's at MyWallStreetHQ, on TikTok, that's at MyWallStreet, or simply just email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. That's P-O-D at MyWallStreet.com. If you're enjoying the show, make sure to tell your friends about us as well. It really, really helps us out if they leave a review or a rating for us on whatever platform they listen to us on. Thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll talk to you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 